Hello and welcome to Business Without My name's Dominic Frisby and Ori Clark, the sponsor of this show, is that rare thing uh, in the UK. It is a company that specialises in both accountancy and the law and its partner, or one of its partners, is Andy Ori, my co-host. And he is about to say hello to us all and he's also going to tell us who our guest is on the show today. So, Andy, hello. Who have we got? Thank you, Dominic, as ever, an auspicious welcome. Um, yes, uh, we're delighted to have Ben Thompson, who's based in Sydney uh, right now. Um, ben is a, a serial entrepreneur. Um, he, he started life out originally as a lawyer, um, but really technology is his, his passion. And he quickly uh, got involved building various technology companies, primarily in the sort of space of uh uh, people, I would guess, it, 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 employment management, HR tools, um, and, and legal uh, tools regarding the same. Um, yeah, and uh, he, he is here this morning, uh, dialing in from Sydney. Welcome, Ben. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Andy. Um, it's evening over here, so I'm starting with a, a gin and tonic. Oh, yes, uh, I, we, we are entirely jealous, it has to be said. I'm, I'm just on the other side of that here in the early morning. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee and croissants, I believe, yeah. Um, so I guess I guess of all the things that's going on right now, Ben, um, what, what's drawing your, your primary focus? What's, what's the main thing going on with, within the various businesses you're involved in? Yeah, well, most of my time is spent on Employment Hero, which is our HR payroll and benefits uh, software. And we are just about to launch internationally. We're launching into making just rather than do one thing at a time, we've decided to launch into the UK, Singapore, Malaysia, and New Zealand all on the same day. And uh, and we are also launching our global PEO, professional employer organization, into fifty four countries on that same day as well. So uh, uh, we are ramping up massively for that. How many how many countries is Employment Hero in at the moment? One. Oh right, in Australia. Yeah, but it's a quite a dominant force in Australia, I think, because many clients and people I deal with are very familiar with it. Yeah, we've got um, got about ten thousand customers. I mean, and just so people understand, Employment Hero. Um, obviously, I've I've seen the, the the software a few times over the years, and it's. Um, it's a great end to end. I think that was your sort of great passion that there were lots of sort of tool, bits of tools here and there, but the employment here is real start to finish. It's like, you know, offer letter, acceptance of offer letter, contract, payroll, management of pensions, benefits. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it's absolutely everything to do with employment. Um, and, and the PEO means it, it comes with a labor force sort of within it. So um, that's, that's what we're doing now, but the, 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 you know, the, the basic principle to Employment Hero is, uh, as I started out as an employment lawyer, um, it took about two weeks before I realised that, you know, no one ever starts a business because they want to manage employment. Um, you start a business because you're passionate about something else other than employment, and then all of a sudden, 80% of your time is spent managing people, recruiting people, and learning about everything you're supposed to know as an employer. There's no forgiveness when it comes to the law and employment. And, um, and SMEs just don't have any of those skills. They don't have the resources. And, and SMEs represent 99% of all businesses on this planet. So 
you know, basically you've got 99% of all companies on the planet with a desperate need for help in managing employment. So Employment Hero was designed to basically do all of it for them, you know, end to end. I mean, as we know, you know, employment law is incredibly local. I mean, we're, we're, I don't, you know, as from an employer's perspective, we're relatively lucky in this country that there's some, you know, there's some flexibility to it because it is a complex relationship. You know, I think I think until you've been an employer, um, you never really understand how difficult it is to be an employer. I mean, you know, on a basic level, ensuring someone has work and they're happy. But on a deeper level, the sort of the legal framework within which within which you exist and, you know, how you can try and develop or be honest with that person. But things are local to the country. I mean, What's going on? Like launching in four countries, you just thought, fuck it, basically, I'm done with this. I'm going to launch everywhere at the same time. Because I know you've done a lot of due diligence on all of those countries over the years. Yeah, we've, yeah, look, you know, you need to, you need to have employment contracts. You need to have all of the fundamental sort of um, documents for employing people have to be right. And we've gone out and we've worked with local lawyers to put all of those tools and resources into the product for every one of those markets. So, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't um, particularly difficult. Um, and once we looked at it, we realised that you know, 90%, 95% of employing people is common. You know, the, the, thing, the things that take time are common pretty much everywhere, but the, you know, the clause in an employment contract might be different, the period of probation might be different, different the way that you accrue annual leave and, um, and pay out annual leave might be different. But... You know, that's that's around the edges, the, the, the basics of finding and directing people for the best productivity. That's really what we're trying to do, right, is, is, is yeah. find great people and help them be super productive. That's, that's the hard part and that's what our platform does. This, um, this follows on from a conversation that Andy and I have, have been having which is, you know, the whole remote working thing now with COVID, everyone who can choosing to work from home for the most part. And then you discover that actually, well, you know, I don't live, need to live in a pokey two-bed flat in, in London anymore when I can have a big house in the country for the same price. And so there's a big exodus of people moving from city uh, to rural, certainly in the UK. And then the next phase is going, well, actually... You know, I don't even need to live in England. I can live in Thailand and uh, do my work from the beach. Or, or you know, one couple I know <laughs> have secretly moved to the south of France and are trying to pretend they're in the UK still doing their job, but actually they're living in France. And, you know, who can blame them? I'd like to live in the south of France. But are there implications of, you know, not having all your employers under one roof, not having them even in the same jurisdiction. Is this going to be interesting from an employment law perspective and other forms of employment perspective going forward? Well, that's that's actually exactly why we've done our, our global PEO or remote working portal. So we've actually created employing entities in those countries and you can employ, you can be a business based in the UK and you can now find and easily find members of your team and to add to your team and employ them in Sydney, in Singapore, in um, Indonesia, wherever. And we're, we're the employer. We've done all the background work to, to an, conf, basically 
ensure that every person that you employ, no matter where you employ them, is going to be paid according to the local law. And we're going to be the actual employer in that case. So I think just that's the that's what we're doing to 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 make it all happen. But the point you made about COVID, I think this is really a massive thing. I think what's happened in the last six months is transformational for this planet. What when when we before COVID, there was a book written back in two thousand and seven called "The World Is Flat" by Thomas Friedman, which is a tomb of a book, but I remember reading it back then and thinking, it's amazing. It, you know, the, all the, He said all the technology we need to live as a, effectively a flat planet, a connected planet, exists today. And he, he said, forget about borders. Like, it's all going to be remote. It's all going to be online. It's all going to be connected. But nothing forced people to do it. The technology continued to develop from that point until, 2000, until 2020, and then COVID made it a necessity, an absolute necessity. And what's happened is you've gone from this world where people had the ability but were never working remotely to now it's absolutely necessary. And we've all just gone, we love it. It's great. I've got a better life. I can surf in the morning. I can sail in the afternoon. I can work whenever I feel like it. And I can live wherever I want. And, and when you consider a world where geography is no longer a fundamental constraint to employment, then the companies that adopt that position and go remote first, they have access to an infinite, almost infinite um, pool of talent all over the world. And anyone who doesn't, anyone who continues to recruit people within a 30-minute drive of their, their office is limiting themselves to this tiny little talent pool and they're going to get absolutely steamrolled. So there is this huge strategic advantage going forward to live and like to create companies that don't use geography as a barrier anymore. And I think the world's going to change completely. And so that's why, to answer your question, your original question, that's why we're launching in four countries and, you know, the software in four countries and our, our remote working portal in 54 countries because the times now, you know, like it's someone's got to make this happen. And if we don't make it happen, the companies that can't employ people easily on a global basis are SMEs. The big companies, it's easy for them. They've already got employment entities set up around the world. And so my, my whole reason for being in business is to help small business owners and medium business owners to thrive. And if I don't do something to make remote work sustainable for those businesses, they're going to get steamrolled. And, um, and that's why we're out there. I find it, I find it very interesting that you say that, that 95% of, of employment law or 95% of the employment relationship is, is the same. Um, cause Andy and I have sort of see a, a bit of a, you know, for want of a better word, a clusterfuck coming for a lot of people, because I mean, I suppose another dynamic as well, is 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 not just the different law, but the different price brackets. So, for example, you know, if if you were employing somebody in London, you would have to pay a London wage. But if you wanted to employ somebody in, you know, Greece to do the same job, you're not going to want to pay a London wage to somebody who's working in Greece. <laughs> Does that make sense? But if if you were originally employed on the basis that you were a Londoner and then you moved to Greece, our employer is going to turn around and say, "Well, I'm not going to pay you as much money." So, yeah, I mean, I suppose my question is: comment on the on the different wage um, 
brackets for the different countries? Yeah, so there's there's a few components to that. Like the the, the first one, think about Australia. It's a massive continent, the biggest island on the planet and the, the smallest continent. Um, if I've gone to university and I'm highly skilled but I live in a regional town and can't travel to my local, you know, to my job, why should I be left out of, you know, left out of the world? You know, so I, I think what we're doing to facilitate remote work is as important for people in Australia as it is for people out, outside of Australia. I want to facilitate the ability for someone who lives in Darwin at the top end of Australia to work for a company in Melbourne. You know, so that, you know, that's one thing that I think is incredibly important. I want people to be able to live wherever they choose and to be have, have just as many opportunities to work. The second thing is I want the ability for people, no matter where they live, to work for any employer on the planet. So, you know, I'm increasing um, employment opportunities or I aspire to increase the employment opportunities available for Australians to work anywhere on earth and for people in the UK to work anywhere on earth. Then you've got the third issue, which you raise, which is what about people who are working in a country that has a lower, uh, lower cost of living, which is what is used to derive the local minimum wage generally. Um, if they have a lower cost of living, then, you know, that, and, and they're paid according to the laws of that country, which, you know, that country says, well, we don't want people to be, um, to be, we want them to be employed legally. We want them to be employed permanently. We want quality employment opportunities. If the government of Greece has determined what what is fair and reasonable under the law for anyone who works in Greece, then that's the that's the relevant minimum wage for those people. So I, I just think um, you're going to pay people whatever the law says they have to be paid, and then above that, you're going to pay them whatever they're worth for their skills. And if I've got a highly qualified, you know, senior executive living in Greece who can demand a half a million dollar salary um, if they were in the UK, I'm still going to pay them half a million dollars if they live in Greece because that's what they're worth to me. as a, That's their input to my company. So, you know, there's, there's, a lot, there's lots of different pieces to that question. It's not as simple as, you know, I, I agree it will be a clusterfuck for a period of time, um, but... It, it's a different world, and I think it, there's more opportunity for people anywhere on the planet to get work and to be paid legally and to be paid the right amount for the skills that they offer to their employer. But there's one other factor, right? You remember the times you used to sit around the dining table with your family and they'd say, finish the food on your plate because there are people starving in, you know, X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, you can't get the food to them, so what does it matter? You know, like it's, I can't, you can't package up my room the rest of my dinner. But with employment, you know, it isn't a physical product. And there are, I think that I need to refresh my mind, but I think there's something like 2.8 billion people who are living below the poverty line who don't have access to enough food for their family. And they're living incredibly poor lifestyles. But if we move to a remote first working environment, what's going to happen is that the, the work is going to be spread more equally across the entire planet. And I think, this is a big statement, but I think remote work could be the thing that lifts more people out of poverty than anything else that's ever been done. Yeah, and um, there is. I mean, it already ha- it's kind of already happening with Fiverr, which is the platform where you can sort of hire people to do jobs, usually for a Fiverr, but it actually ends up costing you more than that. And... Um, like for example, we we 
um, made this song the other day using Fiverr. And we just needed a huge cast of extras. And we needed like 100, 200 extras to be in this song video. And because of COVID, we couldn't film all the extras and, you know, get them all in, in, in the pub that we wanted to film them in. And so we looked at it and we said, okay, we'll get everyone to send in a video and we'll do it, um, you know, like one of those virtual choirs, like a, one of those Zoom calls that hundreds of people are on. And so just nobody bothered sending in a video of themselves singing this song. So in the end, we turned to Fiverr. And, it, and I just got everybody, there's all these people on Fiverr who will be a spokesperson for your product or whatever it is. And I, we got maybe 100 different people on Fiverr. So it cost us somewhere between 500 and 1,000 quid all to sing this song. And what was wonderful about it is like, we just had people from everywhere. You know, so we had, you know, guys dressed up in African tribal dress, a guy singing it in the jungle in India, some mad Venezuelan woman who was like doing some odd South American dance to it. And, and it just, it's just made it utterly, utterly bizarre. Um, but in a good way, it couldn't be more multinational and multicultural. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just an example of this, of exactly what you said. And we've just got all these people in this video that we could never normally have, even in a multicultural place like London. I, I completely, I, I agree. It's amazing. But there's one, i got to make one important distinction between Fiverr and what Employment Hero is doing. And it's in the name. We are, we are doing employment and we are going to guarantee that those people get paid the relevant legal, at least the legal minimum entitlements, pension, minimum hourly rates, um, guarantees of ongoing employment, um, all the things that make employment really qu a quality job. Like all of that, Fiverr is gig work, right? It's gig work and it's a bit like Amazon. It squeezes its suppliers. It's all designed for the benefit of the, of the consumer. In other words, me, the guy that's... Like, here's me giving it out the big one that I was this benevolent man who brought employment to hundreds of people across the world. It cost me a fiver a go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it, I, I, yeah, in some ways it was a fun thing to do, wasn't it? So there's, there's the, you can get into arguments about, like, art and music is it's a really tricky thing because I, I almost think, like, well, how much should you be paid to make music? Well, it probably should be, like, 10p an hour. You know, how much do you get paid to clean the sewers? Well, that should be 300 quid an hour. So, there's, you know, there's some sort of... The, you get into that problem of vocation. I mean, I'm not sure if you saw that, what the guy, head of Netflix said, who's arguably one of the most progressive employers on the planet. He's the one who's said everyone can have whatever holiday they want and things like this. But he's very against... He's, he's he, you know, he's against uh, the head of Twitter. He's sort of saying... Remote working is, you know, you've got to have a team in a physical location. I mean, where where does that go to you? Are we working towards a virtual universe where I'm going to virtually walk into my office, sort of thing? And yeah, look, I've got a I've got a hypothesis on that, and I and I do think that's where we're going, but not for maybe ten years or fifteen years. I, you know, the weird. Oh, you're going to take me down a rabbit hole. So, um, do it. <laughs> before we get to virtual. Um, I do think I miss something. Like I love, like I'm sitting here uh, in in my office at home, um, which is just off my bedroom. So some days, you know, you don't go very far. 
And, um, and I am an introvert, so I do like, you know, solitude. But um, I do miss the, you know, the camaraderie and the social aspect of work. And so what we've decided as a company or as a group of companies is we're remote first, which will take me 10 minutes to explain all of the sort of uh, way to make remote first work. But we're going to um, hold company gatherings. So each team gets to choose how frequently they get together. Uh, it could be monthly, it could be quarterly, it could be weekly for like the SDRs or the sales team or whatever. But then we're going to spend a lot of money to get the entire company together in one location once a year, once we've all been vaccinated. And that's going to be purely social. It's going to build team morale, team camaraderie, get to know people. And I think that we can sort of pack enough social elements into our global gatherings and our, and our regional gatherings to give people that social element as well as the freedom to live anywhere on the planet. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of nonsense really, isn't there, in the traditional way. People are sort of like, oh, well, you know, I want everyone in the office. There's an awful lot of sort of, yeah, you want to be able to sort of look at people, that they're at their desk, and that gives you some reassurance that they're working. It's, you know, we, I, think, I think people are moving to the, well, it's about output. The trouble with being about output is it's a, often much harder to measure. Do you know what I mean? It, it should be simple, but for some businesses, it's quite complicated to measure that. I mean, I can think of, you know, our own business. You might have someone who works very long hours, but when you look at them, they're just bloody inefficient. But there's, you know, yeah. you know, also how much do you go and interact with other people? You know, actually, when I'm working, it's so intense, my job. Even when I'm in the office, people come in my room all of the time and I try yeah. not to lose my temper. I've learned over the years, do not lose your temper, Andy, because that just creates like the worst, ruins my day, ruins their day. But, you know, it's hard to be interrupted and, and, and have so much things. So I can't, I can't say that this is a physical interaction of, of great benefit. It's quicker is the only thing I would say. I don't even know if it's quicker. Like, um, Well, that's the other thing, right? So that when you go remote first, you have to give up on synchronous communication, which is quick, you know, like knock on your door, I need an answer now. And that interrupts you from what you're doing. And you've just explained the use case there. It's very, it interrupts your flow of thought or the things you're doing. It's actually a pain in the ass. And that's synchronous communication the way we currently work or used to work. But when you go remote first, you move into an asynchronous communication protocol, which means that, you know, you want to ask me something, well, send me a message through Slack. When I choose to read it and respond to it is up to me. It's when it's the best time for me. So you actually have to transition from synchronous to asynchronous. And once you're there, you've got so much more time to do all the shit you want to get done. Like it's completely That's the different. bit that winds my dad up the most and I've been trying to explain that to him and he, 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 he'll probably listen to this and laugh at me. But, you know, he for he comes from a generation and he's the boss. He's like, I want to get hold of someone. And I'm like, well, ring them and get hold of them. Nothing's really stopping you from doing that. But, oh, they're always, it's their day off or they've gone for a run or whatever. And that's exactly the conversation end up happening is, Dad, you need to like give them the question and, and appreciate there's a 24-hour response time. You cannot get immediacy. Now, our business is quite immediate at times. Yeah. You know, Ben, if you ring me up and need something, you know, you want a fucking answer. You're paying money, a lot of money. You know, I want, I don't, you know, I don't need to know that you've got, you know, two days until the answer's going to come back. So depends on the business. There's some level at which that, you know, we, we have to sort of um, have an immediate ability to communicate with people. But it's a, it's really a phone call, isn't it? You just ring someone yes. and interrupt them or you text them and say, I need to speak now. 
you know. Yeah, but so so with our company, we've said, look, we are remote first, and that also implies things like we will not hold a meeting face to face unless everybody is in the room. So if there's a meeting with ten people involved. And one of them has decided to live in Byron Bay, which is where all of the Australians are moving because it's an awesome place, or used to be before everyone moved there. Um, um, <laughs> and, and so I chose to live in Byron Bay. Well, I don't want to be left out of meetings, you know, all the side chat and everything else. So if I'm not there, then no one, then we don't have a meeting in the office. It's all online. And then everybody's communicating on the same terms. So um, basically it's all in or or, or all it's online. And, um, and it's asynchronous communication. If there's an emergency, of course you can pick up the phone and call somebody and say, shit, you know, we really need an answer. But generally we've sort of pivoted to this asynchronous remote-first communication channel and it works really, really well. But, but um, Reed Hastings, the guy you referred to before, the CEO of, of um, Netflix, you know, he, it's funny that he says that he wants everyone local because I think one of the key things that he talks about is managing through context rather than managing through control. And, and managing through to control is like, I'm watching you. I've seen that you walked through the door at 9.07 and that you're leaving at 4.52 and that's cutting back on hours and everything else. That's all about control. It's not smart. It's not a good way to get results. Context is, hey, this is where we're trying to get to as a company. These are our goals. These are the first principles of what underpins this business. Now go and understand them all and then put them together in a way that is innovative and to produce a better result than ever before. And lead by context or, you know, that doesn't mean you have to be in the office. So I'm quite surprised to hear that you say he's all in on um, on office work. Yeah, it's a co- it was in The Economist um, that he's made this comment about, I mean, we'd have to pull the comment up because, you know, and it's out of context. So... Yeah, it's it's slightly surprising comment. Um, uh, You know, I'm just fascinated what value there is in that physicality. You know, whether whether people in a room are having a better meeting than people on Zoom. I you're you're a big thinker, which is what's great because you've just said something really interesting. Then is don't don't put one group at a disadvantage, which is sort of what that research showed in China that people who worked in the office did better in career path because they're kind of, you know, they're doing what you're saying. They're allowing to be controlled. You know, they're allowing their boss to have some sort of sense of, you know, control, which is quite a deep instinct, I think, in us in a way. It's not entirely logical, is it? It's just a kind of, it's, um, I don't know, controls feels a really mean word, but there's, it, it, it gives you a sense of assurance and it's a tribalness to it, isn't it? It's a sort of, you know, you're in my team almost. Uh, I hate to say it, like this, I am articulated this before, but it's almost like we went through the industrial revolution where we put humans into factories to like stamp out metal objects or whatever they, you know, produced. And that was all about human labour in, in a factory environment. And then the, I reckon the office, these like skyscrapers full of people, they're just like battery hens. Like you're just sticking people into a... Um, air-conditioned environment that allows you to pump out as many eggs or, in this case, you know, pieces of signed paper as possible. And and what remote work is, it's like free-range living. You know, you get to, you still produce the same goods and probably at a high, much higher quality, but you get to live a better life while you do it. I think that's, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And, I mean, if any country's going to understand this, it's Australia. I mean, you know, 
Because we used to be convicts, right? We're used to being locked up. <laughs> I wasn't going that <laughs> I was just trying to get in before you could. No, I wasn't. I was going to go in the direction. I always remember this bloke I worked with. He used to work at one of the massive tobacco companies, an older guy. And then he was saying to me, he was explaining to me what it was like in the late 70s. And he was saying, we were completely autonomous, Andrew. I can't remember which brand, but it's one of the famous British brands or whatever, you know, whatever it is, British American tobacco or something. And um, and he said, well, you've got to understand is we were completely autonomous in Australia. He said, you know, we if we wanted to send our, you know, our paperwork to the UK, we'd have had to print for five days and take a, send a container to the UK. So once a year, we would just report to the UK, you know, we, and we would fly over and say, oh, this is what we've been up to. But, you know, it was completely, you know, and this is sort of this this centralization initially. So sort of maybe this the first stage is we sort of started centralizing the uh, sea level. Do you know what I mean? We put all the important people in one place, in London and in Sydney, and then you created this sort of, the, the, the problem that's been going on, these mega cities have been sort of, they call it a social Darwinism, that the, the cities like London or City, Sydney are moving faster than the rest of the country. You need to be more intelligent, better educated, work harder, you earn more money, you know, you're sort of driving forward in this way and leaving people behind or in the countryside. Um, maybe, thankfully, this is shifted because I, I have had a real concern about, you know, you look at our own country and you look at the way a Londoner thinks and the way the rest of the country thinks, and it has started to really diverge, I think. I mean... Yeah. No, I think I think there's a big difference between COVID lockdown and remote work. And, and I think once you give it, you know, once we've all been vaccinated, you've got the best of both worlds. I think... You get remote work and social, like a broader social life and the ability to live and work wherever you choose um, or, or work wherever you choose to live. That to me is like one plus one plus one equals five. It's fantastic. It's it's going to be better than ever. Like the, I just really hope this doesn't snap back to the way it was because, you know, we've seen what it can be and it's better. But at the moment we're still dealing with COVID. Take out the COVID part whoa, it's going to be awesome. Um, I do think we're not going back to where we were before COVID came. You know, on on everything that we've spoken about, particularly the whole remote working thing, now people have had a taste of something else. We're not going back. I was interested to read some statistics from Germany. In the UK, we're only 40% back in the office, whereas in Germany, it's 74%. But of this, of that seventy-four percent who are back in their office, over half are only going in part time, and the rest of the time they're working from home. And um, yeah, so France is slightly higher. I think it's France is in the eighty percent have gone back, but not everyone's not going in every day. And and you know, new patterns have been set. You know, people aren't going to want to get the tube at eight thirty in the morning, so they'll come in later, or they'll you know all these new habits have emerged yeah and, and we surveyed we surveyed um 1200 people here in australia and the results were pretty you know pretty amazing i think it was um 78 percent of people would continue to work remotely if given the opportunity um only five percent of people in our survey, and I'm trying to recall this, so don't. If I apologise if I'm slightly out, but I think it was only about five percent of people who said they definitely prefer working in the office five days a week. 
That's only because they hate their wife. <laughs> yeah. And I think even if, uh, even if some companies sort of do go back to the way it was, they're going to lose great talent. You know, that's why I keep saying that there's going to be this strategic advantage because good people, smart people actually like working remotely and they're the ones you're going to be able to, they're, they're your new talent pool. The companies who insist on only employing people who can live within a one-hour drive of the office or commute from the office, they're going to miss out on all that talent. So I just think it's this secret <clears throat> secret ingredient that's going to make the biggest and best companies super successful. There's a very good book um, written in the late 90s by a chap called William Rees-Mogg, who's Jacob Rees-Mogg's dad, former editor of The Times, called The Sovereign Individual. And this is before all this tech was manifest. It was sort of, we could see that the tech was coming, but it wasn't manifest, I think. And anyway, Rees-Mogg sort of describes this new worker, this borderless new worker, hence the sovereign individual who can travel from country to country. He's not tied by any borders. And, you know, if if one jurisdiction gets really heavy, you know, maybe it gets totalitarian or it imposes large taxes or whatever it is, then the guy will simply just move on to the next one. And he sort of described this almost this two-tier economy of those that can move and those that can't, those that for whatever reason are stuck in one particular place. And so, you know, we talk about people wanting to be remote workers. You know, the word for it is digital nomads. And, you know, there there will be just people who, who, you know, at the moment people want to do it, but it will eventually emerge that the world will come to them, those that can do it, if, if the predictions of this book are right. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think that's exactly where we're going. The other, the other interesting thing just about that is, you know, the, the speed at which you, you to be that sovereign worker, to have that opportunity, right? It, it, you used to go to university for three or four years to get qualified to go out and get a job, and then you felt really privileged to be able to get on the tube and go to the office. I don't know if you know, but Google's released a group of courses that only take three months to complete. I think it's three, might be six. But I think they cost about $500 to sign up to one of Google's courses. And if you do the course, Google will recognise that as the equivalent of a university, a three-year university degree. Because, wow. because and it's, it's for jobs like customer support manager, product, ma- you know, product, um, you know, I, I'll give you a list of, the jobs and the, the roles that they need. So they need people. They don't care where they're coming from. They don't care whether they've been to university. They just have to complete that qualification and they'll recognise it as the equivalent. And not only that, they'll tell, they tell you on the website how much the starting salary is. And it's not, it's like 70,000 US dollars. So it's like a high paid, you know, reason, reasonably well-paid job. And so the sovereign workers, you know, before like that, the, the example you talk about, you couldn't do it unless you went to university. But now anyone on the planet is capable of signing up and doing one of these online courses and becoming that sovereign worker wherever they are. Like, it's just crazy. It's just amazing how quickly the world is changing. Slightly underlines how useless the skills you taught at university are. I mean, university is about, to me, it's about building social groups, getting wasted. I mean, it's more that than... People don't really learn that many useful skills yeah. at university. That's the one thing that this remote thing for me hasn't quite conquered yet, and I'm sure it will. Like, 
my eldest son's just gone to Bristol and they're just being so ridiculous about COVID at Bristol, by the way, but that's just another, that's just another matter. They're trying to make them go to Bristol, take up their university accommodation and then do all the courses online. <laughs> Jeez. And you're like, if you're making pay all that money to go there, you may, you may, as, as you say, you may as well do that Google course, the three-month Google course, because he'll get a better qualification out of it. Um, but anyway, that's by the by. But one of the things I was trying to impress on him is you don't go to university to so much to study a subject as you do to build up a network of friends who will stay your friends for life. I'm still friends with people I was at university with. And, you know, you make all these contacts and, you know, that's the value of going to public school. It's the value of going to Oxford and Cambridge, this this network of contacts that you build up. And that side of university is much harder to do online. But I say that, and I'm now going to completely contradict myself and just think of what about the online networks you build up and the friends you make on, on whether it's on Facebook and Twitter or even on, you know, if you go on niche forums discussing sailing or whatever it is, you know, you, you build up a network of contacts there. So I suppose, you, you know, the internet has dealt with that as well. I've seen a first-hand example of that. I've, my youngest son is um, autistic and he doesn't, you know, doesn't have the same social skills that, that most of us do. Um, and so he spends a lot of time on his iPad, on social media, on YouTube and stuff like that, and he can communicate with people through, through the chat modules. His two best friends on earth, one lives in Ireland and the other one lives in California, and they would spend two, three hours a day on, on talking and they are really close friends and that that and I originally I was like Shh, we can't let him be on the internet you know he's just going to get you know trolled by pedophiles but he's actually made friends all over the world just through the internet so we shouldn't presume we, we exactly like you say Dominic you know we shouldn't presume that the only way to make close friends is to go to university and get stoned although it's a very good way to make friends yes I think I think you're starting to spell out quite an amazing universe, Ben, because I'm starting to sort of see it in my head. You know, virtual. It's you know, it's second life done properly. It's a sort of you know yeah, proper but, virtual world. And think about like think about kids playing Fortnite, right? I don't play Fortnite. I've had a couple of games with my son, but they pay money to get a skin. You know, like the the uniform that they wear while they're playing the game. It's a virtual good, but they pay a lot of money for it. And yeah. it's you know it's it's an inf- it's infinitely replicable, but a lot of money is being spent, and, and an exponential amount of money is being spent online for things that we FIFA can't points. that we can't touch, we can't taste, we can't smell. They're completely virtual, but this huge economy is growing. That's a mad thought because therefore the sort of Technicolor dream cloak, you know, if you you wouldn't buy one anymore because if you're only going to the pub to see your local mates, they'd be like, fuck are you wearing that stupid outfit for? Do you know what I mean? Whereas online in your where you're trying to, what's it called, peacock in a way, you're trying to sort of, you know, show your colours off and meet new people and maybe you're a bit younger and trying to build your personality, you would you would show off these things. But in the, you almost... Yeah. Andy, I have a feeling you've got a Technicolor dream coat <laughs> somewhere, right? <laughs> I have a couple of coats. It's dressing up, isn't it? It's the fun of dressing up. Ben, as, as we do close, why don't you just tell our listeners how we can find out, how they can find out more about you and what you do. Uh, you can, um, I don't know if, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's um, at B-N Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. 
uh, and Employment Hero, so www.employmenthero.com. Um, it is only in Australia, but from October 2020, it will be everywhere. So uh, look it up. Great stuff, Ben. Thank you very much. Thank you to you, Andy Ori, as well. And uh, my name's Dominic Frisby, and we'll be back with a, another episode of Business Without B- very soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs>